the following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Without freedom of the press, no democratic form of government could exist. We switch you now to London. I'm standing on a rooftop looking out over London. Good night and good luck. Good evening from our CBS newsroom in New York. NBC presents Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. From ABC, this is World News Tonight. With Peter Jennings in London, Max Robinson in Chicago, and from our desk in Washington, Frank Reynolds. Good evening. This historic legislation, the telecommunications law, will create many, many high-wage jobs. will create opportunity and better lives for all Americans. When the press is free, the people of a country are free. When the press is not free, the people of a country are in danger of slavery. Keeping you informed with information, news, and the views of people making the news. It's the Nicole Sandler Show on NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Right before he tells a lie. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. <laughs> a Twitter spray is just Trump's way of saying truth. Bye bye. His insults and profanity have made us all feel grim. May I suggest when we're depressed, we curse right back at him. Oh, the president, the president. Let's talk dirty like the president. He bragged, he grabs without a rebuke and said he ought to his daughter made us want to puke. Oh, the president, the president. Let's talk dirty like the president. Puts down whole countries but inflates his riches. Said, what's the deal when athletes kneel and call them sons of bitches? Oh, the president, the president, let's talk dirty like the president, calls facts total bullshit. As oversight, he's ducked. But when investigations finally reach him, yes, showing lots of reasons to impeach. Him. Yes, history is gonna teach him. Yes, he's. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Um, yes, he's fucked. Uh, welcome to a Wednesday, everyone. I'm Nicole Sandler, uh, coming to you live at NicoleSandler.com and via the magic of tape delay, digital delay, I should say, on the Progressive Voices Network, uh, Tuesday through Friday evenings at 10 p.m. Eastern. Today is a really big day. If you were listening to the show yesterday, I told you that we had Peter Dow coming on. Peter Dow, for those who don't know, um, was uh, – he, he's a, a political operative, um, and uh, he's one of those uh, who was – a, 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 a fervent Hillary Clinton supporter back in 2016, and not only a Hillary Clinton supporter, but a Bernie Sanders critic, perhaps the biggest Bernie Sanders critic in existence. He was that guy. Um, he had blocked me early on because I'm sure I said a, a number of uh, <laughs> uh, lovely things to him over the years. Anyway, Peter Dow has gone through a bit of a... Um, 
a, a, a renaissance, I suppose. He's seen the light. Uh, he's also got a new book that just hit stores yesterday. It's called Digital Civil War, Digital Civil War Confronting the Far-Right Menace. And um, uh, we'll certainly talk about what caused his uh, change of heart, um, his thoughts on Bernie Sanders, his thoughts on the rest of the, the, <laughs> the Democratic field, and, um, and more. Now, so I told you about that yesterday. Well, shortly after I got off the air yesterday and I was, you know, posting the podcast and doing all my busy work, I got an email from my guy in the Bernie Sanders camp of whom I had put in a standing request months ago. Whenever Bernie has time, I want him on the show. And sure enough, I got got an email yesterday and uh, the subject line merely said, Bernie tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> and, the, and the message read, can you tape at 1145? And I wrote back with three letters. Yes. And so Bernie Sanders and I taped an interview uh, earlier, well, just a couple hours ago. Um, you know, I've interviewed Bernie Sanders at, being conservative here at least half a dozen times over the years. I'm sure it's been more than that. Um, obviously, when he started his run for the presidency in 2016, he became less accessible because all of a sudden everybody wanted to talk to Bernie Sanders. Back when he used to do my show, at, at the time he was doing uh, you know, um, Brunch with Bernie every Friday on the Tom Hartman program for years before he became a national figure. Lots of us were in the Bernie Sanders camp. And that's why, and we address it in the interview about five years ago when he was deciding whether or not to run, I, he was on the air with me and I urged him not only to run, but I said, if you do run, please run as a Democrat because we need your voice on the debate stage. And and um, it was about, you know, getting his message out there, which today most of his uh, fellow Democratic candidates have embraced. So we've made a lot of progress but we still have a long way to go. Um, uh, yeah, so um, anyway, uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. First, I do want to mention in between my, my interview with Bernie Sanders and, um, uh, and, and preparing for the show, uh, I watched uh, some of the, 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 the Senate Judiciary Com- Committee hearing with Attorney General William Barr, uh, tomorrow, he's supposed to be in front of the House Judiciary Committee if they're able to clear up the uh, issue of, of um, the, uh, the committee lawyers doing some of the questioning. Anyway, um, uh, I, I just want to share. I, there's so much, and I don't have time to get into all of it. Maybe we'll have a little more time tomorrow to share some of the highlights of today with you. But I got to applaud. Just These just happened in the last maybe half hour or so or hour. Maisie Hirono of Hawaii surprised the hell out of me. Uh, oh, by the way, you know, I should mention the song we opened with today is, um, uh, of course, Lauren Mayer. And it was Let's Talk Dirty to the President. It's about, you know, Donald Trump having a potty mouth. Not that there's anything wrong with that for someone like me, but for the president of the United States to be throwing around bullshit and uh, other curse words. I'm sorry, it's not appropriate. It's one thing for me who has a potty mouth, to say fuck every now and then. Um, But for Donald Trump to do it, I'm sorry, it's wrong. And that's what that song was a nod to. But I I meant to open the show with my new favorite drop. 
you know, I have these these drops that I go to every now and then, like... We'll do it live. Fuck it. Thing. We'll do it live, right? Uh, well, I've got a new one, and it's courtesy of Miss Lindsey Graham. Trump is a fucking idiot. Yes, he is. It's the one thing that Lindsey Graham has said in recent months, at least, I'm being generous here, that I've agreed with. Yes. Trump is a fucking idiot. But putting that aside, uh, you'll, you'll hear that pop up every now and then. Lindsay, you know, we're going to need you every once in a while. But Maisie Hirono, oh my goodness, she started. Now, some people have complained that we really need prosecutors. Kamala Harris did a great job questioning Barr. But Maisie Hirono um, showboated, and she took her first five minutes to tell Barr exactly what she thought of him. I'm not going to play all five minutes, but here's how she started. Mr. Barr. Now, the American people know that you are no different from Rudy Giuliani or Kellyanne Conway or any of the other people who sacrificed their once decent reputation for the grifter and liar who sits in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. You once turned down a job offer from Donald Trump to represent him as his private attorney. At your confirmation hearing, you told Senator Feinstein that, quote, the job of attorney general is not the same as representing, end quote, the president. So you know the difference, but you've chosen to be the president's lawyer and side with him over the interests of the American people. To start with, you should never have been involved in supervising the Robert Mueller investigation. You wrote a 19-page unsolicited memo, which you admit was not based on any facts, attacking the premise of half of the investigation. And you also should have insisted that Deputy Attorney General Rob Rosenstein recuse himself. He wasn't just a witness to some of the president's obstructive behavior. We now know he was in frequent personal contact with the president, a subject of the investigation. You should have left it to career officials. Then, once the report was delivered by the special counsel, you delayed its release for more than two weeks. You let the president's personal lawyers look at it before you even deigned to let Congress or the public see it. During the time you substituted your own political judgment for the special counsel's counsel's legal conclusions in a four-page letter to Congress. And now we know, thanks to a free press, that Mr. Mueller wrote your letter objecting to your so-called summary. And she goes on from there. It goes on like that for another four minutes or so. And then Maisie Hirono gets to the end of her diatribe and launches into questions. It went like this. Being Attorney General of the United States is a sacred trust. You have betrayed that trust. America deserves better. Yes. You should resign. Yes. I have some questions for you. Is the White House (laughs) exerting any influence on your decision whether to allow Special Counsel Mueller to testify in Congress and when? No. And that was how he answered her. No, he was very curt. And then he bitched at the end. And then Lindsey Graham said, that was slander. You slandered him. It was brilliant. Senator Hirono, uh, we applaud you. All right. We'll give you one more little bit. It was Kamala Harris, who I think, you know what, in a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren administration, she can be attorney general. Just saying. Because California will elect another Democratic senator to replace her. Uh, Here's how she began her questioning of Bill Barr today. Uh, Attorney General Barr, has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Um, Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. uh, uh, Yes or no? Huh? Spit it out. Did you repeat that question? Oh, my God. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir. Um, the president or anybody else. 
Seems you'd remember something yeah, like think? that and be able to tell us. Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, Oy. there have been discussions of, of matters out there that uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation. But Perhaps they've suggested. I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. <laughs> Hinted. I, Hinted. I don't know. Inferred. You don't know. You know. Okay. He doesn't know. Oh, my goodness. And it went on like that. All right. So it's still happening. It's still going on, although they have votes coming up any minute now. So I think they're going to adjourn and then come back. Um, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a more thorough uh, postscript on today's Bill Barr hearing uh, on tomorrow's show before Howie Klein comes on. Uh, but today, as I told you, we've got a busy day. We've got Peter Dow coming up at the bottom of the hour. But now, I guess let's not wait any longer. Hopefully this will work. I, I did tape it, like I said, a little over an hour ago with the one and only Senator Bernie Sanders. Here we go, 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 we go. Thank you so much for, for uh, joining us today. Um, uh, as you know, I've been a fan of yours for many years. And, and I know that. <laughs> we don't talk enough, and I apologize. That's kind of my fault. Well, I get distracted a little well, bit. Well, a little bit. You've been kind of busy. Um, I but I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time today, so I want to just jump in with, with a few questions for you. Good. The big news this morning is the revelation that Robert Mueller sent Attorney General Bill Barr a memo after Barr's release of his four-page summary complaining that Barr didn't accurately convey the final of his report. Uh, Barr is testifying this morning before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, the last time he testified before Congress, um, we saw at least two instances in which he blatantly lied in his answers, uh, which we now know because of this letter that, that uh, Mueller sent him. What should happen next with regard to both Attorney General Barr and the president himself? Uh, well, in, in terms of the president, um, I mean, I think most listeners know that we have a pathological liar uh, who, you know, lies every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of Barr, you know, uh, I think he has got to be held accountable. Lying uh, to Congress is a very, very serious business, uh, especially if you're the attorney general who is pledged and sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. So I can't tell you exactly what the repercussions should be. Uh, but I don't think it's asking too much uh, to have an attorney general who tells the truth. And what about Donald Trump? Well, look, I think uh, in Trump, uh, and again, I'm not telling your listeners anything they don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the most dangerous president, uh, certainly in the modern history of our country. This is a president who is very authoritarian, is not a great believer in democracy. Uh, who not only lies all the time, but is trying to divide us up based on the color of our skin or our sexual orientation or where we were born or uh, our religion. Uh, and this is just, you know, beyond belief. And I, I think what we have got to do is make sure that uh, Trump uh, is not reelected. And I'm working very hard to make that happen. And I think uh, what you're going to see is, you know, whoever the Democratic candidate may be, I hope it's me and maybe somebody else, uh, that we all come together to make sure that, uh, that Trump uh, is a one-term uh, president. And you don't think impeachment's the way to go? I'll tell you what I think. I mean, I think that's the decision in the House. I'm a senator, and I would have to vote on that. So, mm -hmm. uh, And that's something that the Judiciary Committee will deal with. But I think, uh, frankly, from a political perspective, uh, if all that the House is doing is talking about uh, impeachment and not dealing with the health care crisis, 
uh, not dealing with the fact that millions of people are earning very, very low wages, that our infrastructure is falling up, falling apart, that mm-hmm. we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, then I think the American people would say, you know what? Yeah, what you're doing is important, but what about me? What about my needs? You've got to gotcha. pay attention to my needs. So, yeah. you know, I'll let the House make their own decisions. Uh, but I think uh, we have got to stay, at the very least, focused on the real issues impacting the American people. And that, you know, issues like income and wealth inequality mm-hmm. with free families or more wealth in the bottom half of America, criminal justice, immigration reform. You can't run away from those issues, or I think the American people uh, will not treat you kindly. Gotcha. Uh, if, uh, almost five years ago now, Senator Sanders, you and I spoke. You were then trying to decide whether or not you were going to run for the presidency. And what I, decision did I make? Because I forgot. <laughs> run, baby, run. Um, All right. But what go. we talked about is, and I, I urged you that. Well, you know, my my input was, if you're going to run, I hope you run as a Democrat because we need you on that debate stage. It was about getting your ideas out there. At the time, you were the lone political figure calling for Medicare for all to free state colleges and universities, $15 an hour minimum wage, and a lot more. And today it seems that most of the Democratic hopefuls are there with you, uh, with some minor differences or sometimes bigger differences around Medicare for All, which hopefully we'll get into. Um, uh, but So I have to thank you for making the party more reflective of the wishes of the people. Um, with that, no. Uh, after I announced you'd be joining us today, I was inundated with questions. And, and so I, one comes from a listener, Sue, in Illinois, who works at a struggling rural hospital. And she wrote that, quote, the pathetic Medicare reimbursement rates and the reams of paperwork involved are the main reasons I'm reluctant to, to support Medicare for all. Uh, Senator Sanders, what do you say to her? Oh, Sue, no. I mean, what a Medicare for all system will do is get rid of that reams of paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons that we spend twice as much per capita on health care as do the people of any other country is that we are spending hundred wasting wasting hundreds of billions of dollars every year on that paperwork, uh, on making it impossible for doctors and nurses to do their jobs because they have to consult with the insurance companies for every therapy that they want to provide right. to their patients. So we are spending right now, Nicole, and, and it's not talked about very often, but we're spending twice as much per capita on health care as any other major country. Meanwhile, we have 34 million people with no health insurance and even more who are underinsured. And we have rural hospitals all over this country shutting down. We have a very, very inadequate primary health care system. One out of five Americans cannot today afford uh, the prescription drugs that their doctors prescribe. So you've got a dysfunctional health care system which spends a huge amount of money. Clearly, you know, I think we've got to move to a Medicare for all system which guarantees health care to all people, which will extend benefits for senior citizens, cover dental care, uh, eyeglasses, uh, hearing aids, uh, and will do that in a much, much more cost-effective way than the current system. So, you know, I hope Sue reconsiders because uh, we cannot continue the current system, which is so wasteful and bureaucratic, uh, and expensive. Right. Well, just as we need to be able to, Medicare needs to be able to negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies over right. drug prices, will there be some working with the hospitals on reimbursement rates? Of course. Of there course. Okay. And the difference right now, here's what you got. Right now, you have a healthcare system. And I think most people instinctively understand that. What's the function of today's healthcare system? 
It's to make the head of United Healthcare $83 million in compensation. Mm-hmm. It's to make billions of dollars in profits for the insurance companies and the drug companies. That is their motive, and everything stems from that. If you have a healthcare system, I'm not here to tell you that Medicare today is perfect. It is not. We need to improve it. But Medicare today is the most popular healthcare, health insurance program in the country. And our plan expand, extends Medicare from people 65 down to 55 in one Please. year, 45 the next year, 35 the next, and over a four-year period covers every single person. And I have zero doubt that for the vast majority of the American people, this will be a far superior system than what we have right now. Absolutely. All right, one last question for you, Senator Sanders, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, even though it pains me to have to do it. Um, in, In some respects, we are seeing the beginnings of a replay of some of the worst aspects of 2016. There are factions within the Democratic Party establishment that are working to undermine your candidacy. Um, and, and even cable news has their finger on the scale yet again. CNN yesterday seemed to have used a poll that appears to have no respondents under the age of 50. Uh, there are other such examples like that. I, I know you were the first out of the gate to sign that new indivisible pledge yep. of party right. unity and working together. Yep. How, do, how do your supporters fight back against this kind of dirty pool? Well, thank you for asking that. Look, Nicole, you know, and I don't talk about this terribly often, but mm-hmm. this is the fact Uh, We are taking on, in our campaign, the entire establishment. And that means we're taking on the Democratic Party establishment. You're taking on the media establishment. We are taking on, I mentioned, we talked about Medicare for All. Mm -hmm. The drug companies and the insurance companies are now spending millions of dollars trying to defeat us. We have to take them on as well. Uh, We're going to be taking on Wall Street when we fight to lower interest rates in this country. So when you are trying to run a transformative campaign, which means, yeah, I want to win the Democratic primary, I want to defeat Donald Trump, but you know what? We want to transform our political and economic system so that we have a government and an economy that works for all and not just the 1%. And you know what? Our opponents know that I am serious about this, and they're going to fight back in every way that they can. So, you know, it, it, Nicole, it, I'm glad you raised the issue. It doesn't surprise me, and I, I hope it doesn't surprise our supporters. We're taking on everybody. Yep. And the reason is, whether it is the military-industrial complex, whether it's the fossil fuel industry, whether it's the insurance companies, whether it's the drug companies, you're seeing these entities making billions of dollars in profits every single year while the middle class continues to shrink, and we got 40 million people living in poverty. So yeah, we are engaged in a major, major struggle here. But I'm very proud. I got to tell you, just last Saturday, we had 4,700 house parties, and I'm guessing 60, 70,000 people showed up to figure out how they can become more involved in the campaign. So we're building a strong grassroots movement, which is, to my mind, the only effective way of defeating taking on the establishment. Absolutely. Bernie Sanders, I hope we're going to see you down here in Florida sometime soon. Love to do it. <laughs> and maybe this time we'll finally meet in person. It's, it's okay, been a long Nicole, time. you take care. Thank you so much, Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And with that, our brief interview ended. I never have enough time uh, to talk to Bernie Sanders. Um, but, um, you know, I, I tried to get as much in as I could. I had tons of questions, both from listeners who submitted them on Twitter and friends and uh, 
uh, even some of Bernie's advi- one of Bernie's advisors. We'll leave it at that. All right, um, let's take. I, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I, I to be honest, I, I wasn't thrilled with his question, with his answer, my fir- of my first question right out of the gate on what happens next with Barr and uh, and, and Trump. I would have liked to say here impeachment for both. I believe that the House can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think they can um, uh, they can impeach him and still go about the business of doing the work of the people. On the other hand, I think Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi should not have met with him in the Oval Office yesterday because Donald Trump will not comply with congressional subpoenas. And he's telling everybody who works for him at the White House, do not comply with those subpoenas. As long as he's going to thwart justice and not comply with congressional uh, subpoenas, then uh, then then they should not be negotiating with him because we do not negotiate with terrorists. Understood? Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll get to what's news uh, with the rest of the news of the day because there's other stuff going on. And we'll be back on the other side to talk with Peter Dow. All right, stick around. I'm Nicole Sandler. It's NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. I read the news today, oh boy. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Another day, another shooting in America. This time it was at the University of North Carolina's Charlotte campus on Tuesday, where a man is in custody after killing two people and seriously injuring four others. Big breaking news Tuesday evening with both the Washington Post and New York Times reporting that Robert Mueller wrote a letter to Attorney General William Barr taking exception to Barr's summary of the special counsel's report on the Russia investigation, saying it, quote, did not fully capture the context, nature and substance of this office's work and conclusions. The letter was sent on March 27th, three days after Barr issued his four-page summary. It also cited, quote, public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. This threatens to undermine a central purpose for which the department appointed the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of the investigations. The New York Times' Michael Schmidt explains what they found. There was widespread sort of frustration and disbelief at the way Barr characterized their findings. And I think folks in the special counsel's office understood the severity of the way Barr was doing this and the way that it was casting the die on their findings in the way that the, the public's consumption of this would be so important and that they really wanted for their work to be looked at. And instead, Barr had simply just put out the findings and not given the full picture. And there was deep frustration with this to the point that Bob Mueller, who's really someone by the book, took the unusual step to send this letter to the attorney general. And Bob Mueller has known the attorney general for a long time. So it's not like he just called him up and said, hey, like, you know, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand this. He memorialized it in a letter setting off this subsequent conversation in which he sort of pushed Barr to put more information out because at the time there was just Barr's letter and the president Mm -hmm. had seized on it. That's the thing you have to understand. The president was saying that all of this exonerated him. And if you were in Mueller's shop and you looked at the president doing that, I could understand why that would bother you because that's not really what they found. The timing on this story is important as the attorney general is 
was back before the Senate Judiciary Committee Wednesday morning to testify about the Mueller report. It'll be interesting to hear the senators call Barr out on his previous testimony a full two weeks after he received Mueller's letter in which he blatantly lied. This question was asked by Florida Congressman Charlie Crist. Reports have emerged recently, uh, General, that members of the special counsel's team are frustrated at some level with the limited information included in your March 24th letter, uh, that it does not adequately or accurately necessarily portray the report's findings. Do you know what they're referencing with that? No, I don't. I think, I think, uh, I suspect that they probably wanted, you know, more put out. And this one was asked the following day by Senator Chris Van Hollen. Did Bob Mueller support your conclusion? I don't know whether Bob Mueller supported my conclusion. Calls for Barr's resignation or impeachment have already begun. The Guardian is reporting that Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro claimed his troops have foiled an attempt by the country's, quote, coup-mongering far right to usurp his administration and blame Donald Trump for backing his adversaries. During an hour-long national address Tuesday night following opposition leader Juan Guaido's renewed efforts to oust him, Maduro said, quote, I truly believe that the United States of America has never had a government as deranged as this one. Maduro also called Guaido and his followers America's, quote, useful idiots. The first ever House hearing on Medicare for All happened Tuesday. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal introduced the legislation in the House. It was a historic moment where, for the first time ever in the history of Congress, we had a real debate and discussion on a Medicare for on my Medicare for All bill, and it has 109 co-sponsors, and the witnesses were phenomenal. And I just want to give a particular shout out to Adi Barkin, who you know has been a brilliant activist has been diagnosed with ALS and made a trip that was seriously threatening to his own life in order to come and testify and really give the crucial moral question, put that question at the forefront, which is life and death issues of health care. Why can't we be a country that provides universal health care? Testifying with the use of a computer because he no longer has the ability to speak, this is how Addie Barkin wrapped it up. We are all insisting that there is a better way to structure our society, a better way to care for one another, a better way to use our precious time together. For my son Carl, for your children, and for our children's children, we have a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to win what we really deserve. No more half measures. No more health care for some. We can win Medicare for all. This is our Congress. This is our democracy. And this is our future for the making. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is 100% listener supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com slash donate. This is a huge, huge issue. And we're talking about it. The Nicole Sandler Show on Progressive Voices and NicoleSandler.com. Okay, I'm back. It's what a busy day between the bar hearing, uh, the, the interview with Bernie Sanders, and our next guest. I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this, even though um, I, I, I was not a fan of this man for a long time. In fact, Peter Dow blocked me on Twitter at some point 
over the last four or five years, probably because I was a big Bernie Sanders supporter in 2016. And I tend to, you know, when he's attacked, I, I, I behave like a mama bear and I protect the people I love. And so I'm, you know, and I, and I have a potty mouth. So I'm sure I, I, I mouthed off one time too many at Peter Dow on Twitter and he blocked me. But a few weeks ago, uh, one of my listeners tweeted me early in the more earlier, early one morning and said, hey, Peter Dow had an apparent change of heart and he's unblocking people that he blocked, you know, who supported Bernie Sanders. So he apparently let Peter Dow know that I'm one of those people he blocked. No audio. Oh, no. Hold on. I, I know what I did. Bear with me one second. Ah, hold on. And this is what happens when I'm my own producer. Okay, audio coming. Uh, Audio on YouTube will be back in one second. There it goes. Okay, audio is coming, YouTube. Um, Anyway, so Peter Dow uh, unblocked me, and uh, we exchanged uh, some tweets, uh, at at which time I invited him to come on the show and uh, to talk about all this because it was a big deal. And um, uh, that's when he told me that he had a book coming out. And he said, can we put this off a couple of weeks and and talk when the book comes out? I said, sure. Well, the book came out yesterday. It's called Digital Civil War, Confronting the Far-Right Menace. And I believe we have Peter Dow on the line now. Peter, are you there? Hey, Nicole. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. And and I guess thank you more for your change of heart. Um, Let's back up a little bit and talk about... Uh, what happened? Again, I don't remember when you blocked me. I, I don't remember if we fought on Twitter, knowing me, we probably did. Because like I said, I, I, I get in protective mode <laughs> and, and, and I can be a bit of a bitch. Um, uh, and uh, so, but you, you, back in the 2016 race, you were a big Hillary Clinton supporter and you worked on her team. What, what did you do for her? Well, I worked uh, for her in 2008. Actually, I ran her digital department in 2008. Oh, okay. 2016, I was just doing it out. I was not part of the campaign. Gotcha. But but look, I don't I don't even remember why I blocked you. <laughs> I blocked a lot of people. <laughs> it was very intense. <laughs> um, but you know, I've, I've I've tried to unblock people. I've tried to reach out. And uh, from my perspective, you know, the way I look at 2016, I think a lot of the confusion is a lot of people just got to know me in 2016. But I got into politics in 2000 2001. And when I got into politics, then it was, you know, I, I was in the music business before that. I got into it just as an activist. Uh-huh. I took a real liking to message boards like Democratic Underground and blogs, actually the very beginning of blogs uh, back then. There was no social media, right. no Twitter. And I really got into online politics and it sort of became my life. I, I became an advisor to, to people doing it, you know, how to do politics online. But I always came at it as a progressive activist. That's what I was. And as part of that, I was fighting the Democratic Party a lot, too, on, 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 on the Iraq War, on the Patriot Act. You know, I was marching in the streets. I was a protester. I really just sort of a citizen who was a musician who turned into an activist. And after three or four years, I realized, you know what, the best way to do this for me is my thinking is why don't I get inside the Democratic Party and try to bring this whole net roots and progressive energy into the party. And that's when John Kerry hired me. That's when yeah. Howard Dean was really buzzing. Right. And I happened to meet Kerry at a fundraiser. And I said, look, Howard Dean is tapping into the language of the net roots, or the language of the progressive community. And you can do the same thing because this energy is where the Democratic Party needs to go. And he hired me literally a day later. Wow. So I ended up working for him. A couple of years later, Hillary Clinton hired me. 
And, and from that, you know, it, it all developed as me being sort of this outside net roots guy, sort of anti-democratic establishment, but coming in to bridge the gap. That was my role was always, you know, you talk to the bloggers for us. That was always yeah, but my role. You turned into the, one of the most, at least from my vantage point, one of the most establishment Democrats out there. You know, that's an impression. I completely understand where people who, who see that and who encountered me in 2016 feel that way. So I'm definitely not, you know, what I'm trying to do as part of this you know, evolution and really revolution, because I'm just coming back to my roots, essentially, uh-huh. is to just explain to people that I've been doing this a very long time. Before 2016, the types of politicians I loved were Bernie Sanders and Paul Wellstone, right. you know, the, 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 the you real know, and Richards, the, right. the real progressives. That's right. So, you know, and, and that, that's what I did. What happened was this. I worked for Hillary. I got to know her in 2008. And when 2016 rolled around, I sort of saw it as a continuation of what I'd started in 2008, which is, you know, elect, elect the first woman president. It would be an amazing legacy to leave to, 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 to my kids, my family. And I thought, OK, I'm going to do this. Now, little did I know how much off the rails that election would go, uh-huh. how defensive. And I take responsibility, too. I got very defensive. I was attacked a lot. I fought back. And just the way you said, you know, when you love Bernie Sanders, yep. you defend him. Well, similarly with Hillary. I got to know her personally. I grew up in a war. So once I'm in the trenches with somebody, I'm going to fight hard and stay in the trenches with them. And But really, after the fact, Nicole, I thought, I got to really look inside my heart and ask, what role did I play? And was it constructive? And is this going to help to continue to sort of relive that? Is this going to really help us in 2020? And I made the determination that it's not, that I'm going to start reaching out to people like you and others, and I'm going to build bridges. And that's where I am right now. Was it just like an epiphany that came to you, or was it a slow revelation? How, how did this turnabout come? Because this was a pretty big uh, shift. It, it, it was a process. It didn't. Have, I think for some people who are just senior, who are just on block, they think it right. just happened. But uh-huh. it's it's been a process since around 2017. Because even after the election, I was still, you know, there's a lot of bitterness and pain. And I, w- I want to say this is very important uh, for me to say, both to you and to anybody on either side of that campaign. I am not in the business of dismissing or minimizing the pain and the scars people have. It's not my job to do it, not my business. I'm not telling people to forget. Mm-hmm. All I'm asking is, can we hit the pause button and focus on the essentially authoritarians, fascists, you know, whatever you want to call them, who, who want to take over our country? And I'm talking about the GOP, Trump, and these right-wing extremists. So my attitude right now is we have to work together because we're facing existential threat. But to your question, it was a process, and it's not an easy process. It's been up and down. First, there was a lot of skepticism on the part of of, of Bernie supporters Uh because I think a lot of them felt that I was just generally sort of this DNC shill anti-progressive guy. And I had to make the case and a convincing case that I'm exactly the opposite. Go back and look at my writing in 2003, 4, 5, and you'll see – even in the, during the Obama presidency, I was one of his harshest critics on drones, mm-hmm. on civil liberties, on, on you know, I, I criticized Hillary on fracking, on Iraq. Well, so what I've tried to say is, look, go back and look at my progressive roots. I've been doing this a long time. Right. You know, we all made mistakes in 2016. We can come together. I survived the Civil War with people who were at war with each other, shooting at each other made peace for the greater good and now coexist. So I'm thinking, come on, Hillary and Bernie supporters, we can come together and do this. It doesn't mean I'm erasing your pain. Right. That's not my business to do. But we can do this. We can win in 2020 if we join forces. Right. And, and I hear you. And that has that is the greater goal. we got to get Trump the hell out of the White House. He is taking down the country. And he's doing it in just, oh, my God, just Trumpian fashion. That oh said, we're in a primary race. 
and we've got a huge field. Uh, by my last count, if you include Mike Gravel in there, I think there are 21 candidates. Um, that said, I, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool progressive. Um, right now, I'm my my I, I'm sort of uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are my top two, uh, but I'm trying to keep an open mind. I do, however, worry. And this is what I worry about, is that the lessons from 2016 were not learned by the people who needed to learn them. And we found out about some of the the dirty tricks that are still being played from a New York Times article after Think Progress published this hit video on Bernie Sanders because he made money off his book and he's now technically a millionaire. Um, There was no reason for Think Progress to do this, and it just opened that can of worms about the Center for American Progress, which is a center-right or center-left so-called think tank. Neera Tandon, who was – I put her in your former camp. She's somebody who throws slings and arrows, who is a huge Bernie foe, and and as we learned in this New York Times article, had some backroom meetings to to – plot on how to take him down. Meanwhile, all the time they're screaming party unity and sign the pledge and, and, you know, vote blue no matter who. It's that kind of hypocrisy that we are gun shy about. We've been burned too many times. And in fact, I just had Bernie Sanders on the show a little while ago. And, uh, you know, he, he came out first to sign that new indivisible pledge to support whoever the nominee is and go all in. Um, but I do ask him, how are we supposed to fight back against these kind of that kind of dirty pool? You do admit that that's well, still having- happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, well, well, here you're raising a very, very important question. You know, when you talk to to to, to people who are attacking Bernie Sanders, who, who still have uh, hard feelings from 2016, they'll say the exact opposite. They'll say, you know, the Sanders people are still attacking us. And yep. then, you know, from the Sanders side, it, well, that so so what I'm trying to do is, is look. I'm not going to jump into the middle of that. Let me say this: <laughs> I worked with Neera Tandon in 2008. I've said this uh, uh, repeatedly, you know, publicly. As part of this process of me trying to show some leadership in terms of, you know, reaching out and trying to and, and trying to heal, I'm not going to start attacking Hillary and Nero and people like that to, to endear myself. But I'm also not going to start attacking Bernie Sanders to endear myself to people who are now criticizing me on the Hillary side. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stick to to my principles. Bernie Sanders, and I listened to the interview, it was great, by the oh, way, thank you. made some, a critically important point. But I think this gets lost, right? that he's also fighting the establishment. The problem is when you include things like Planned Parenthood in the establishment, I think, you know, it rubs people the wrong way. But he's absolutely right. This is where I agree with Bernie Sanders, that the Democratic Party leadership and establishment, and I'm talking about not all Democrats. I mean, AOC is amazing. John mm-hmm. Lewis is amazing. Mm-hmm. I can name Maxine Walters. I can name lots of amazing Democrats who are not part of this. But as an institution, the Democratic Party has not stepped up to fight. Nope the Republicans the way they need to. So when he's saying we're taking on the establishment, the way I interpret it is the party leadership yeah. that is, for example, you know, on impeachment, for example, and I wish he were hard. I think Elizabeth Warren is amazing on impeachment. I do too. I, right I, out, I, I didn't yeah. love his answer on it at all. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and you have, and you have the honesty to say that, which yeah. I appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. We got to criticize our politicians. Look, our job is to, as citizens to hold them accountable. So let me say this, the media as well, right? They don't want a Bernie Sanders to win this whole thing about the liberal media. You know, anything that upends the system, the system wants to remain as it is. The status quo 
maintains itself, right? So mm. anything that's a threat to the system is going to be treated as a threat, right? right. And so, and when, and I know the establishment, Nicole, because I lived in Washington yep. on K Street, worked for these campaigns, and I watched how cozy the media is with politicians. You know, they go to the same parties. They're, you know, it's 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 very incestuous. So my attitude is, yes, there is a point we need to, where we agree with Bernie Sanders that we have to take on entrenched interests that are holding back progress. By the same token, I wish, I, I really wish the Sanders campaign would do more to reach out to a lot of these voters who I think, you know, that, that I think there can be more people coming together. Actually, I've said before that I wish Hillary and Bernie would actually get together and show that unity and solidarity. I actually have not endorsed anyone, and mm-hmm. I'm looking very closely to Elizabeth Warren, to be perfectly yep. honest. She is working hard for this nomination. So I, I didn't endorse Bernie Sanders, but I, let's not treat him as the enemy. Bernie Sanders is not the enemy. Joe Biden is not the enemy, and I've been very critical of him. He's certainly not my choice, but none of the Democrats are our enemy. We have to focus on the people in front of us who are trying to take away our rights. And I agree with you on that. And Joe Biden is not the enemy, but we are in a primary race. And frankly, Joe Biden, I see as Hillary 2020. I, I, I fear that if he is the nominee, he will lose. Um, I fear he will not get the support of the young people. And I fear that when those young people find out about his record, those poll numbers are going to drop precipitously. Um, I really think this is a, a just just it would be a huge mistake. Uh, the, the Democratic Party, I believe, thanks to Bernie Sanders over the last five years, has moved to the left more in line with, I think, where the American people are. Um, and Joe Biden uh, is, in my mind, an anachronism. He just is yesterday's news. He's not there on Medicare for all. He's not there on, uh, you know, tuition free colleges. He's not there. He's not there on anything. And he's got he's got a lot of baggage. Um, So it's primary season. This is when we fight for the people who are best. As I said, I will fight for right now. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are my one and two. Um, Most of the others I could you know, take or leave. Uh, if I have to, yes, I'll vote for them the same way I voted for Hillary Clinton. I just really hope it's not Joe Biden. And by saying that is not an attack. Well, yes. Well, well see, what you're, what you're doing is you were pointing out issues of electability, right. issues of positions, mm-hmm. and that is all fair game. I'm not asking anyone to not, you know, advocate for your person and criticize the others on, on sound policy or electability grounds. That's, that's what we do, right? That's a primary. Yep. Yep. What I'm saying is, you know, and, and the reason I focused on Bernie Sanders, a lot of my Hillary Clinton friends have said, why do you keep talking about Bernie? You know, so are, you, are, you, are you pushing Bernie on us? And my answer is always, look, Bernie Sanders is the only candidate in this race where issues of 2016 get revived, just by definition, because he was half of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like if Hillary were running, I'd be talking about Hillary and Bernie. So when you're trying to make peace, you're try- or you know, as I'm trying to do, you're trying to do it with the people who are fighting. Nobody was fighting over Joe Biden in 2016. Right. That's true. Yeah. So, so that's why I wrote, you know, I wrote a Nation article about Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders. And what I'm saying is, look, vote for whoever you want, support whoever you want. I haven't endorsed or backed anybody yet. As I said, I'm looking probably most closely just to be perfectly transparent at Warren, um, just because of how amazing, you know, the amazing campaign she's running. Like she's moving her numbers up through sheer hard work, yep. rolling out great positions. Slow but and steady. To your point, you, yep. 
you're free to criticize Joe Biden. Others are free to criticize Bernie Sanders. You know, absolutely. No politician is perfect, Nicole. Right? Yeah. Everybody's got flaws, and it's okay to point them out if we disagree with them. Absolutely. Uh, Peter Dow is with us. I want to talk about your book, but before we get there, I got one more question along this general topic, which is the D Triple C under Sherry Bustos, their new leader, has this new policy where uh, you're not allowed to primary an incumbent. What well, what is this party doing? Well, I, I have a lot of questions about the Democratic Party. I, it, I always say when I criticize the Democratic Party and they should be subjected to criticism, I always throw in the caveat that Republicans are far, oh, far true. worse. I mean, well, exactly. our problem is the GOP. They don't care about the Constitution or the rule of law. This is a, yep. basically a party that serves oligarchs. Yep. That's what they do. They give tax cuts to oligarchs. So, so let's, let's put that on the table. Yep. So when we criticize Democrats, which you and I do, and which I've been doing since 2000, it's because the Democratic Party is our only major institution with the institutional power and the infrastructure to, to, to stop these right-wing Republicans from taking over our country and turning it into an autocracy. Right? Fully so, agree. So when I criticize you see what I'm saying? Like when I criticize oh, yeah. Democrats, it's not, oh, they're equal. I hate and I get that all the time. People say, but what about Trump? He's so much worse. And I say it's not about Trump. Trump is evil incarnate. That's a given. That's besides the point. I want the best we can do in this Democratic Party is really fucking up. Well, they, 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 on a number of uh, look, impeachment is a perfect example, but there have been others from the very beginning. Like take take Kavanaugh for example. Mm-hmm. I at the beginning of the Kavanaugh hearings, several Democrats came in, came out and said this is a sham. Yep. And then what did they do? They continued with the hearings and kept yeah. going and voted. I yeah. don't care that that, that that you had Christine Blasey Ford testify. The fact is there were three credible claims, one of whom testified credibly of sexual assault against this guy, and he clearly lied under oath. It was just obvious he was lying. How did this guy end up on the Supreme Court? At the very least, Democratic leaders should have said, we are walking out. We're calling for sort of mass action in the streets, lawful and yep. nonviolent. Yep. I always say this. Mm-hmm. We don't want any violence. We don't, don't want to break laws. But the Democratic Party should have said we should have mass protests against this candidate, uh, against this nominee, and we were just going to walk out because we're not going to legitimize this guy. And that's one example. Impeachment is another. Democratic Party continues to act like things are just business as usual. And now they're trying to do an infrastructure deal with Trump. Yeah. This is not business as usual. These people want to take away our rights. Yep. I agree. And I think as long as Trump is denying uh, to uh, telling his staff do not comply with congressional subpoenas, that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer should say, we're not talking to you until you uh, obey the law. Congressional subpoenas must be answered. Otherwise, we don't negotiate. That's why they have to impeach. Sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. The reason we have to impeach is because we can't ask them for anything. You you know, subpoenas or requesting documents. They're not going anywhere. The only power that Democrats really have right now to put a mark on the Trump presidency for history is impeachment. It's the only tool they have because it's the only one that they can launch without GOP help and without the administration being responsive. Yeah. No, no, I, I hear you. Uh, okay, so that all that, the Democratic Party needs to not screw over a, a good part of its base. Uh, that, that's the other problem that, that a lot of us have. Is <laughs> we're, we're a bit gun-shy and we don't trust them, and for good reason. I mean, this, this DCCC thing about you can't uh, primary an incumbent or, you know, any that's vendors ridiculous. who work from you will be blackballed from working with anyone else. That's just not democratic, 
period. That's ridiculous. It it, is, it, that's a terrible policy. It's it's horrible, and they better uh, they better repeal that soon. All right, the book is out. It hit stores yesterday. Congratulations! It's called Digital Civil War: Confronting the Far Right Menace. So, Peter Dow, um, uh, the internet is a a blessing and a true uh, terror. I think on humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know yeah. how we got by without it before. Um, and I don't think we could ever be without it again, but, it, but it, it, it added, I think a real, um, uh, element of ugliness to our society that, that might've been there, but, but the anonymity of the internet, I think emboldened people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it, I was really trying to write because I grew up in a war in Lebanon, in Beirut, mm-hmm. an actual civil war. So you know, I spent my life in what you see in Syria and Iraq and places like that was my childhood. So it, when I when I came over here and, and watching these fights where the other side is being dehumanized and, and you have these sort of tribes and, 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 and the information flow just goes in one direction. So on, on, on the right, for example, as you know, there is a completely closed, cohesive media apparatus that with Fox, with Sinclair, with talk radio, unfortunately on our side, it it doesn't get funded. Progressive media like yours doesn't get properly funded. (laughs) Tell me about it. We struggle on the progress. On the right, you have these massive, you have billionaires funding these think tanks that churn out these Frank Luntz type talking points that feed 30% of the public and is essentially programmed them to believe anything that the GOP puts out. So Digital Civil War, I wrote the book, after, it's my first book, after 20 years wow. on this digital battlefield or on the political battlefield, digital the past 10 years, I thought, you know what, I just want to write down what's happening. You know, what is so-and-so saying to so-and-so? How's this issue fought out? Immigration, abortion, how do these fights play out? And where's the battlefield? It's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. That, that's what we're not. No, we're not fighting, you know, in, 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 in Gettysburg and in the fields of the South and Virginia and, you know, the Carolinas. We're fighting these wars online. That's that's where they, look at Trump. He's like the yeah. Twitter president oh my God. Right? because he knows this is where the battle is. Yeah, but it's I, it, I mean, it's so demeaning as an American. I'm embarrassed every time I see one of his tweets. But we all fall into no, no. it. But we don't expect the president of the United States to do that. But he knows this is where the battle is fought, mm. and this is where his his, his army is. Right. You know, if you to take a perfect example, take AOC, yep. um, who 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 I backed early, like before everybody thought she was going to win. A lot right. of people jumped on the bandwagon later, but you know, the first time I saw her, I thought, wow, this is a political superstar. The way she was presenting the issues and just sort of a bold, progressive approach. Oh yeah. Now, if you go go to YouTube and type in, you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez or AOC. You will see a massive ecosystem of, of, of people just literally trying to tear her apart, sort of the way they did with, with Hillary you know, in the 90s and early 2000s. It's, it's, and, but it's systematic. It's a systematic approach of dehumanizing and tearing down anybody on the Democratic side who pushes progressive positions. And this is a war. I mean, look at Ilhan Omar, another person who, mm-hmm. who I support and back. They're out to get her. I mean, yes, this is they are. This is of violence against a, uh, yeah. against a Muslim woman just for speaking out. You're right. So what do we do about it? I mean, we're, the, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back in. We're not going to shut down Twitter and Facebook. Um, uh, and as we've learned, it's hard to tell sometimes. Sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's hard to tell who's real and who's a bot, who's a plant, who's a fake account. You don't know yep. because of that anonymity. 
You're absolutely right. It's, it, and and they uh, and I'm, you know, they come in and they agitate. So when you have a, a, a fight or a debate, a lot of what happened in 2016 was agitators who who heated up the debate to the point where we all got angrier and more worked up. So so they're very they're very sophisticated. The bots, the trolls, and mm-hmm. how they do this, and they come from a lot of different sides. I'm sure the Trump campaign has their people. You know, we know Russia infiltrated. But but the way I look at this digital civil war, it's really a fight over issues. Digital is really because that's where the battlefield is, right? We fight them out online. But I, I look at every issue. I, in the book, I look at every myth on the right. For example, abortion. You know, look at this new thing that Democrats murder live, living babies. Yeah, unbelievable. And, and people think that's an insane talking point, but this has become a major talking point on the right. Trump pushes it all the time, and they believe it. This will incite violence. The fact is... For example, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, uh, well, I, I'm against abortion because, you know, I'm Christian. It's in the Bible. So in the book, I actually dig into these moral arguments. Nowhere in the Bible, and I, I was raised in Lebanon in a small Christian village with churches that were seven, five, you know, five, six, seven hundred years old. Nowhere in the Bible is abortion prohibited explicitly. Mm-hmm. Nowhere. And no, most people don't know that. It's like the Bible. I'm against abortion. Well, the Bible does not prohibit abortion anywhere. And so I dig in, in the book, I dig into all these moral debates on guns, on immigration and all that stuff and show how these battles are fought. Because like you said earlier, you know, the democratic progressive positions are the popular positions, the yep. common sense positions. Right. It's just because the right has this media infrastructure that they're able to get their position across. Exactly. So how do we combat that? Uh, we are, we are. So I think our numbers are greater, but we always find ourselves at a dis- disadvantage. There are a number of ways of doing it. My prescription is we, you know, sort of my new thing right now, and part of the reason I've stepped out and tried to make peace and, and say positive things about Bernie Sanders and bring people together is we need to be our own leaders, Nicole. We, can, we cannot wait for politicians. No Democrat's going to save us. The Republicans are lost. They're a lost cause. Mm-hmm. There's no savior. There's no mullet. There's no savior who's going to come in and just fix this. We have to step up, work with one another, Find what we do best. You know, do you like to canvas? Do you want to do a podcast? Do you like radio? Do you want to organize? Do you want to blog? Whatever you do, step up, be a leader. Don't follow, you know, support politicians, but just fight. Take a stand and fight. And part of writing Digital Civil War was I'm going to, you know, I'll lay out all the issues for you. You know, read the book. You'll see exactly how the debates play out. And let's fight knowing what it is we're up against. Knowledge is power, right? We need to know who our opponent and adversary is. And a lot of times, I don't know if, if many Democrats really get it. What are we up against? So, yeah, but, you I, know, that's what I want to point out. I, I, I hear you. And as much as I really, really don't want Joe Biden to be the nominee because, uh, uh, number one, I don't like his policies. And number two, I think he can't win. So I'm going to do my best to to uh, get somebody elected who can win. That said, if he's the nominee, I will do what I did last time and use my industrial strength nose clip and uh, the, and go and vote for the, the Democratic nominee because Donald Trump is an aberration. He is he is a vile excuse for a human being and he's dangerous. I You know, look, I talk about the future of the nation, but even more than that, the planet is at risk. I mean, from climate change to North Korea and now, you know, Venezuela or wherever else he wants to get us into a war. Um, everything is on the line here. I mean, everything is on the line here. And that's what people need to realize. You know, it still freaks me yeah, out when I see I see the Bernie or bust people and I see the never Bernie people and they both piss me off. 
Well, we cannot. Yeah, we can't. There's no there's no room now for a never anything. Yes. I mean, that's just unequivocal. Come on. I mean, I, I don't care how angry you are and, and, and how legitimately hurt you were. But there's no room for never a Democrat when we're facing Trump. I mean, just today, the attorney general is lying, lying at a testimony. Unbelievable. And covering up. Unbelievable what I just saw on television today. I meant to ask you about that, but we've been going and I, you know, it's just been a great conversation and we're running out of time. So maybe we'll have to reconvene at another time. But what we witnessed today, an attorney general committing obstruction of justice as he's lying about the findings Mm -hmm. of Robert Mueller about obstruction of justice. We're living in opposite world. We are, and this is all due to the GOP. They are covering for this. They have absolutely no respect for the rule of law. These are very, very dangerous people to our democracy. Frankly, at this point, Trump is effectively above the law, thanks to the Republican leadership and people like like, like Barr. These are very dangerous people. Somebody like Barr with his smug, uh, sort of self-important, sitting there and just willing to lie and obstruct with just no repercussions, this is not democracy no what we're watching not at all and we need to appreciate that and and fight it as hard as we can peter dow thank you so much it's been a great conversation and i'm sure i hope we can do it again the book is called digital civil war confronting the right the far right menace it is available now through all those usual outlets and if you buy it through amazon use the portal at nicolesandler.com peter thank you so much this was a great conversation and uh, again i look forward to talking another time Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Me too. Thanks. Bye-bye. And I'll see you tomorrow. It's Thursday, so Howie Klein will be here. Until then, keep the faith, baby.